All right, boys, today my job is to talk about miracles. Does God do miracles? Um, the question obviously is rhetorical uh, to be answered in the affirmative. When it comes to miracles um, and the work of God, we Christians are probably at our greatest depth of ignorance uh, in the Christian faith. We have so little real understanding of what, why, and how God responds to us in this way. First of all, you need to understand the will of God. God God's will can be expressed in three ways uh, to encapsulate all that God is and all that God does. First of all, God has a perfect will. God's perfect will is that which he, in cooperation with man's choice, accomplishes this ultimate long-term goal of bringing ultimate glorification for himself. The will of God in that sense is perfect. If every piece of it is done as God desires, it would be absolutely perfect in every way, perfect will of God. The perfect will of God, however, because it involves man and choice, requires God to have a permissive will, which is the second aspect of how God brings to accomplish the ultimate good. All things can work together for good, but in that there are things that God permits that were not a part of his perfect plan. He will permit it, he will allow it, because it involves some of your choice. The third aspect, though, is the overruling will of God, and the overruling will of God is that which is decreed and which must happen, will happen, and cannot be thwarted. The overruling will of God does not take into account your free choice. It says this will happen, and it is up to God in his sovereign counsel to figure out how to accomplish that without violating any principles of who and what he is. And, of course, that happens. So you have the perfect will of God, the overruling will of God, and the permissive will of God. Now, uh, miracles operate in the permissive area. This is one of the first things that we don't understand, which is why you're praying for something and you're begging God and you've uh, beseeched him. You may have tried a little fasting. You tried the army of the Lord and nothing has happened. First and foremost is to try to figure out, okay, now where am I operating with what it is that God, I'm asking God to do? Now, the second thing, if you understand the will of God and, and try to figure out where you are in his plan, am I accomplishing that which is perfect? coming of his son, dying on the cross, men believing in him, coming to know him. Am I operating in permissive? That is, something has happened. Choices have been made. Consequence of choices are a reality. Am I asking God to do a work that would undo, redo, or refashion, recontool, or retool something that he permitted to happen? Or am I in the area of God's absolute overruling will? This is going to happen. It is not going to be thwarted. From man's vantage point, it looks as if God is overruling a choice, which he may or may not, depending on what the area is. Now, that's first. Second thing, if you're going to understand, do, does God do miracles? Now, the question is rhetorical. It, the answer, of course, is in the affirmative if you are a believer. If you're an unbeliever, it's irrelevant, immaterial. Uh, you have another problem far greater than whether or not he does miracles. <laughs> the issue that we've got to wrestle with is what I call divine prerogatives, okay? This is something that 
we as believers have not been taught very well, don't understand, and therefore tend not to see much of the supernatural manifestation of God's power in particulars in our lives is because we don't understand divine prerogatives. A prerogative is a right or a privilege that is, that is exclusive to a particular individual. We say someone that is someone's prerogative, we, that we would be saying that is his choice. He has the right to make that decision. Prerogative as came into our language from, of course, uh, the Latin, like so many words did, per, before, regere means to speak, to speak before. It came into the culture as a word applied to people who got to vote first uh, and thus came to have the synonym privilege. So a prerogative, a divine prerogative, and this is very important, the, the divine prerogative is to set aside natural law. God can exercise divine prerogatives to set aside natural law. When he does that, we call it a miracle. A miracle is God exercising a divine prerogative to set aside a natural law. There are things that God has decreed. There are laws that operate in the universe. Every day you wake up, those laws apply. They don't change. They don't stop. They're not set aside unless that is part of the law. However, there is time, there are times when God will need to set aside a natural law in order to accomplish either his perfect will, permissive will, or his overruling will. And when he does exercise divine prerogatives, to set aside natural law, we call it a miracle. God healed a blind man. If you're born blind, natural law says you will be blind until you die. However, God can set aside that natural law and he can cause sight to come to the eye or handicapped or the dead to be raised. Any exercise of God's divine prerogatives in terms of setting aside natural law. Now, your question obviously is, can I do that, which is really a question you should be asking. Does God do miracles? Of course he does. Um, can he do miracles? Of course he can. Uh, the more probative question is, can you? That really is the issue, boys. Whether you have the right, have you been consigned the family right to set aside divine prerogatives? What's sad is that you have and you don't know it. That's what's really sad. You have. If you are in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is an expression of God's prerogative to bring into his family that which is contrary and opposite to himself. We call it salvation. For God to bring you mortal clay man for him to bring you into his family and give you eternal life, his life, and to give you his spirit living inside of you makes you capable of operating divine prerogatives. That is, you can actually set aside natural law. God has given you that right. It is your inheritance. It is part of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. Our problem is that we don't understand how, we don't understand why we are immature and therefore, we get no result when we try. 
because you don't understand. Now, I know this to be true because it's a reality in my own life. Now, my only fear today of teaching you, because every time I teach you on this topic, um, please, please do not show up at my house at 2 a.m. in the morning. I live in a gated community. You get through that gate. You get through that gate. Now, we have cameras in our neighborhood. <laughs> Gentleman drove all the way from Montana because God told him to come to my house that I was going to heal him, and he drove all the way from Montana straight, came in, got, came through the gate, sitting parked in front of my house 3 a.m. in the morning. The neighbor sees a person parked in front of my house in a car and calls Police, you got to understand, people, once you start talking and once you start understanding, see, as an immature believer, you think that if you had, had the power to set aside natural law, that you'd clean out hospitals. Man, I'd go down there and heal everybody in that hospital, which is why you don't have the power to do it, because that is not God's will. God is not waiting for you to have enough faith to do the work of setting aside, and that's why everybody's suffering in the world, because you don't have enough faith to do the job. That is not why that is happening, boys. You have to understand four things if you're going to learn and if you want to begin to exercise God's prerogative that he has given you as his son, which Scripture clearly declares and is unambiguous, Okay. There are four things you're going to have to understand. Be mature in your thinking uh, to understand this. Okay? I prayed for a lady. She came up to me. She asked me to pray for her. She was instantly healed. She started running all over the parking lot at family church, and she's all over the place, and everybody's getting on the Because I momentarily forgot the reception of God's power in people's lives makes them blowhorns. They won't tell everybody. Yet Jesus told her, listen, I healed you, honey. Go home. Love your family. Be quiet. Of course, people didn't do that, and they won't. And then people come, and I hear the, the, the door will swing wide open, and you'll get no peace. Believe me. Okay? So there are four things I need you to understand. Number one, for you to be able to exercise God's power to set aside natural law, a miracle, Number one, you have to understand the purpose that God gave you the right to be his son and therefore one who exercises his prerogatives. You have to understand the purpose. The purpose is to always keep in front of man that nothing is too hard for God. That is the number one operating law of God's utilization of you as a resource to demonstrate to creation, both angelic and human, both angelic kept and fallen and man, that nothing is too hard for God. Both Old Testament and New Testament begins with that assertion that nothing is too hard for God. Understand, if God is going to use you in some specific situation or context, it is because he wants to reaffirm that rule in the consciousness of his people. 
that they should not be afraid or unwilling to think that God is able to do a deed, particularly in their life. God is able, but the purpose of doing it is to reinforce, reaffirm, reassert that nothing is too hard for God. Same thing happened with Abraham. Same thing happened with, of course, Joseph in the New Testament as God was going to give him the Son of God. So purpose is number one. Two, the second thing, that it is personal. It, this is a personal. God never, Jesus Christ never stepped out in front of a city and simply healed everybody in that city. He could have done it without even a thought. He, he could have simply waved his hand and he could have healed every sick person in any city that was in Jerusalem at the time. He did not have to sit on a mountain, sit on a rock, and people one at a time walk up in front of him and he healed him. Now, it happened. He did it that way because, number one, the purpose was to affirm that nothing is impossible for God. But number two, that the work is personal. It is not a groupy session. This is not waving your hand and everybody faint and fall out slain in the spirit. That is the biggest bunch of nonsense you're going to see. That is not how God operates. If he is going to work in someone's life, it is going to be personal. It's going to be between you and the person. That's number two. Number three, you have to understand that it is a program challenge. When God gives you the right to, to exercise divine prerogatives, you are, in fact, engaged in the program of God, which is being challenged by Satan, which is why in the New Testament, not, over 70% of the miracles you saw Jesus do involve some kind of demonic influence. It's amazing today, everybody's sick, but nobody's sick because of demonic influence. It's amazing. Where'd they, where'd they go? Did they take time off, leave? Jesus left, they left. Yeah, we have to, we have to punish him, man. We don't understand that we are in a program challenge and the kingdom of God has come. Jesus said, tell them you, the sight received uh, the blind receive their sight, the imprisoned are being set free, the sick are being healed. This is to demonstrate that the program of God is greater than the program of Satan and that God is systematically one by one reclaiming his right to his creation starting with man and will ultimately culminate with the reclamation of heaven and earth. All of this is part of the program, and so when you exercise a divine prerogative to set aside a natural law, it is to God to show Satan that he is, in fact, in control and that his children are in control and that the reclamation of earth has already begun. That's why it's so important for you to be the light, to be God's, to be God's example on this earth because you are part of the divine program of reclamation and you demonstrate that when you step into his dominion and start messing with his stuff. Jesus said one day, I was uh, noticing today, I saw falling from heaven. What, what, what was happening? Well, so much relief was going on on earth that he had to come personally see what's going on. Because too many people were being snatched from his kingdom by the power of Jesus Christ. Too many people were receiving divine set-asides, and his kingdom was being rocked, and he wanted to come see. Unfortunately, we don't do much of that anymore, primarily because we don't believe. It is a purpose. You have to make sure the purpose is right. It's personal. It's not congregational. Number three is the program challenge. And number four, 
It is a pistis challenge, P-I-S-T-I-S. It is a pistis challenge. The pistis is the Greek word for faith. To set aside natural law is an exercise of faith, which is what God is calling you to, and he is calling you there because that is how you exercise divine prerogative. Now, God, you're going to have to get the, 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 uh, the tape. I think it'll be online. You need to listen about 15 times. It's going to take you that many times to hear what I'm telling you. Uh, it'll take you that many times to believe it. Uh, and then to begin to walk in it. Now, Jesus, Matthew tells us a story. Listen. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Now, this is a story. Jesus and three of the boys up on the mountain just partying hard. Um, Moses and Elijah come. It's a, it's a rap fest. Down, back down in the valley, the other nine, this man came up and said, hey, my child's in bad shape. Heal my boy. They go into the routine, screaming, hollering, throwing dust, beating themselves like we do. Straining, pulling, eye-popping, trying to get some fervor worked up to bring a healing. Of course, no result. The man's very frustrated. His son needs to be healed. He's come to the healers, but the healers can't heal. It's personal. What's the purpose? It's personal. What program is being challenged? And what is the challenge to faith? So the disciples, the nine who didn't get up on the mountain, they, they had no success. Jesus, now note, listen. And Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? First he says, apistas. P-I-S-T-I-S is faith. Then he says, oh, apistas. When you put an A in front of a, a Greek word, it makes it a not. So you negate the word. So he said, O apistas, faithless, no faith. Either way, oh, no faith generation. I, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Twisted. They got, all, yeah, we definitely twisted. Then Jesus asked two questions. Now, we have not understood these questions that Jesus asked. Now, on the surface, it just sounds like he's frustrated. He said, oh, my. Wow. You just make me feel tired all over. That's how some people think what Jesus is saying. Boy, you guys just make me feel tired all over. I mean, my goodness. You couldn't heal this little. Wow. Actually, he is frustrated that the nine even as a collective, couldn't muster enough to get this boy out. But what, what, he, what he was really saying is, one of the implications of the question is, what are you going to do when I'm gone? How long am I to bear with you, be with you? I'm, I'm not here long, boys. In fact, at this point, he, he's got less than a year. I'm gone. Once I'm gone, what are you going to do? If 
the only way you can get a miracle is that I do it. What are you going to do when I leave? i tell you what we're going to do. Absolutely nothing. We're going to return to being victims of this world, as Christianity is. I mean, if you want to talk about a victim, Christianity, Christian believers, we are victim boys and girls. Let me tell you. The, the, the evil, ungodly wickedness is eating our lunch. We have no power. We don't speak in authority. We don't stand in our authority. We allow evil to run rampant. They can pass the law. And we Christians do absolutely nothing. We just stand and look because we are supposed to be compliant people. We are the good people. While evil run them up. Jesus says, what are you going to do when I'm gone? I, I can answer that question. Nothing. We're going to, to uh, give that old faithful Christian line. Well, I'll pray for you, which is basically saying, as soon as you're out of my sight, I'll never think of you again. Jesus said, bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Now, the first thing you got to ask is, what was the purpose? The purpose was to demonstrate that nothing is impossible with God. Secondly, personal, it was to one man and one son. Okay, program challenge, Satan's hold and grip. Now, he had a, he had a generational grip here, which is why he felt, that he could hold this boy. Therefore, he did not have to release. You challenged his assertion to generational. And secondly, it was, of course, a challenge to faith, that is, to believe that you, you have that authority. When we pray, Jesus, Father, in Jesus' name, heal my sister, you have abdicated your authority, which is why you get no answer. You don't understand what God's right he has given to you. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. Now, here is the problem. When the King James translators got over to this, and I, now listen, I don't have anything against it. I love the book. I, hey. But there were times when they, it wasn't quite right the way they translated. And most of us in this room, all you gray and bald people, um, yeah, I see. Um, it says, because of your little faith. Then it says, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move, and it will move in. Now, the absurdity of the translation ought to be apparent, which is why in the ESV it says, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, which is accurate, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, it is not if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. The word size is not in there because it is not talking he is not talking about the, the, the size. The point of the mustard seed is not its size. The point is its growth. And this is important. When they put that word size in there, they changed the whole focus of the text and made it absurd. 
Because Jesus said to the disciples, it's because of your little faith. Okay, that's what he said, right? Read it again. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. Now, that is in there. That, the word little is in the text. Jesus said to his disciples, it was because of your little faith. Then they turned right around and translated, for I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Well, wait a minute, boys. Don't you see that stupid? <laughs> oh, ye of little faith, but if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, well, now, wait a minute. If they have, he told them they had a little faith, then you're telling them if they have a little, as little as a mustard seed, they can move a mountain. Well, then they should have been able to move the mountain. He said they had a little faith. You see absurdity. This happens so much in the text. The translation misleads you, and then you walk around feeling stupid. Say, wait a minute. He said, little faith, then you, you spend your whole life just trying to find whether or not you have faith. I must not have any. Because Jesus said they had a little. He said you can only need some the size of a mustard seed. And here I am, huffing and puffing, holding my breath, trying to, trying to grow up some faith here. Then I can't get enough faith. My faith must not even be the size of a mustard seed, and it's the smallest seed in the world. So now you think, wow, this doesn't make any sense. And you don't understand what it's saying. You don't know what it means. And so you're just frustrated and you give up and just go about your business. You don't even worry about it. Because if, if, if I don't have faith the size of a mustard seed, and yet I know I believe in Jesus, yet I know I believe in the word of God, yet I know I have, and, and you say, I, I, I'm just confused. And it's all because of a bad translation. He is not talking about the size of a mustard seed. He's talking about the growth pattern of the mustard seed. Jesus said you got to have faith like a mustard seed, not like it compared to its size, but like it compared to how it grows. It starts out the smallest seed possible among the uh, cultured seed. But it grows. And when it finishes growing, it's, it's, tall, it's tall enough tree for birds to build a nest in it. Jesus said, listen, boys, you came with me, you started with me, and I began to teach you, and I began to show you, and I began to operate in the dominion of divine prerogatives. I begin to show you that you can walk on water. That is a denial. That is a setting side of natural law. I took two loaves of bread and multiplied it to feed 5,000. That is, I can set aside natural law and I can operate in the dominion of divine prerogative. He said, and Peter, you walked the same. You can do the same thing. What should have happened was when they saw Peter Walk on the water, they should have been confirmed to them that that is not an obstacle to their accomplishing of God's will and every one of them should have been playing hopscotch on the water. Every one of them should have gotten out of the boat and walked to the land. Amen. 
But the reason they didn't is because they didn't choose to fertilize faith so that it became the, the seed that has now become a tree. That is your problem, is that you don't muscle your faith. You have not trained it. You have to treat faith just like you treat a muscle. If you want it to grow, what do you do to it? You give it some resistance. That's what makes muscles grow. It is not the lifting. It is the resistance that it causes that will cause your muscle to grow. And it's every day, every other day, resting, 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 that cause that muscle to grow. That is why faith doesn't work in your life, because you have no muscle. None. The whole way of life, our whole way of life, everything we do is anti-faith. Social security is anti-faith. Insurance is anti-faith. You know, hey, I can rely on this. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't do these things. I'm simply telling you that if you're trusting in that, you have more faith in the government than you do in the power of God. You have more faith that they will sustain you than you do in the power of God. You'll have exercised the muscle of faith in government, but you are a impotent wimp when it comes to the faith of living the Christian life. And the result of it is you don't see God working very much at all. It's all about the relationship, boys. I tell you, if you have faith like a mustard seed, it started small. In fact, God gave you the seed. God gave you a seed of faith. You couldn't have had it otherwise. Your job is to grow that seed. Which means every day you got to get up and do something that requires faith and faith alone. Nothing else will make it work. If you want to see miracles, boys, you have got to grow your faith. You have got to exercise that faith. I don't, I don't know how to do that. That guy's building great churches. You can build a great church if you tell people, listen, you want to live like I live, you're going to need great faith. And he's, he's flying in $60 million planes and he's wearing suits and living in houses, and he's just getting rich because he's telling all these people, you, the way you get a great faith is you got to sow. You got to sow. Where are you going to sow? Sow here. Don't go out and give it to the poor people out there starving on the street. You got to sow it in this building because then it comes into my treasury, and then I get paid my salary, and I live like a king. And you're sitting there wondering, what happened? Why does it work for him and it doesn't work for me? It's because you give greenback in a white envelope every week. That's why it works for him. You have faith and you grow that faith because every day, every day of your life, boys, listen to me. Every day of your life, as soon as your eyes fly open, you've got to decide where are you going to step out of that boat today? Every day, you got to step out of the boat. You got to be willing to attempt to set aside natural law. It's a divine prerogative that's been given to you. If you don't step out of that boat, you're not making faith grow with the sad consequence that you're going to come to death and you're going to die with the same 
seed of faith you had that God gave you at salvation. And I can tell you, that's going to be very disappointing to you in the next life. Because you're going to see the outrageous opportunities that you had that simply passed you by. You got to understand purpose. It's personal. You got to understand the challenge of the program and the challenge of faith. And you will never ask Jesus, why could I not do that? Father, for every man in this room today, there's a real need. They know the need. They see it. They feel powerless. They feel absolutely powerless. They feel impotent. They feel so weak because they see and they know the need. Some of it is in their own lives, in their children, in their marriage, in their finances. They, they see it. They know it. They simply just don't know what to do. Because even when they read it, they don't understand it. But I pray for every man here that today will be the first day of a new challenge of life, that they will walk in the sufficiency and fluency of your word. Father, oh, that every man would have at least one opportunity to exercise the divine prerogative before he dies. That's my prayer. Every man. In Jesus' name, amen.